Well, it's a good day, isn't it? Marvelous day. Let me invite your attention to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. As you're turning there, let me make just a few preliminary remarks. Uh, first, uh, Mayor Kelly Gertz, thank you for honoring with us with your presence. God bless you, and we're going to be praying for you every day. You've got a big task in front of you, and uh, your, your work is much like mine. There are always people that know how to do it better than you do. Just ask them, okay? That's how that goes. It comes with the territory. Uh, but the second thing is I am so grateful for former staff that have come back and also representatives from the Griffith family. What a great honor to have you here. And thank you for uh, driving all the distance you did and making this a priority for today. We love you, and uh, you're, you're in our hearts. You are. Um, uh, about the message this morning, it's going to be a bit longer than normal and usual. I'm going to be casting something of a vision today uh, as we grow and as we develop. Usually I take a text uh, from the scripture and just expound it. But today I'm going to be looking at a lot of different verses in the Bible. So really you can turn anywhere. I will get there eventually. Okay? So I wanted to let you know that. Also, for those of you who are guests, let me make something real clear to you. Uh, here at Beach Haven, we are very comfortable with the language of giving and money and sacrifice. Uh, we, we do that in, in an appropriate way, in a gentle way, but uh, you may not be accustomed to churches that on Sunday morning talk about giving. But our Savior was a giver, and we try to follow Him. But we did not invite you here as guests to get your money, all right? You give that to your own church. Our members take care of that. But I'm going to be later in the message casting a financial vision for Beach Haven, especially as it relates to our uh, upcoming worship space project uh, that uh, one day the committee will be announcing to us, uh, probably later than sooner, but then also about our endowment. And we'll be talking briefly about that as well. So as a guest, you just feel comfortable uh, with that, all right? We're comfortable with that, and we didn't invite you here for your money. I had the great opportunity a few months ago to interview uh, the founding pastor of Beach Haven Baptist Church, uh, Dr. Pat Harrison. He left Beach Haven and went on to have a great ministry uh, through the years in Georgia and Alabama. And uh, after leaving Beach Haven, he integrated all the churches that he pastored in the 60s and in the 70s before going as executive director of uh, Alabama Baptist Retirement Homes. Marvelous, marvelous leader and man of God. But I asked him about the founding of Beach Haven and what was in the heart and mind of the founders. And he said that when they came out of First Baptist Church, their desire uh, after a few um, uh, strategic moves was to come out to the west side of Athens here and start a new kind of Baptist church. Now those were significant words and he unpacked them for us uh, that day when I uh, interviewed him. Uh, now the first thing you may find remarkable is that there was a day when this was the west side of Athens. They anticipated a business community developing from Alps Road out beyond uh, or down the, uh, uh, down the Atlanta Highway. And when this church was planted and founded, it was in the woods. It was a little building uh, and actually an army tent in the woods is uh, what they did. And they came with a great zeal to give and a great zeal to work. And they founded this church to be a different kind of Baptist church on the west side. With Baptist theology and values and commitments, 
but a different kind from where they came. They believed this community needed something different, especially the business community. And what's remarkable about that is that while there are a lot of advantages to being in a downtown area, there are a lot of advantages to getting in the midst of a business community. Beach Haven, a lot of folks think around the state, is the academic church where a lot of University of Georgia folks come. And we have some here. We've got a number of professors, retired professors, and, but most of those related to the university are actually on the staff here at Beach Haven. Beach Haven has really never been the university church. Beach Haven is the business community church. And so the kind of people that it won and attracted through the years were those who were business-minded, which meant they were sensitive to the market. And they thought through and they prayed through that. Even many of those with the university were involved in some kind of agricultural um, economics as well. They were sensitive as well to what was taking place in the market. And so they were not looking to develop a traditional church, but a different church to reach this particular community. And I found that remarkable and very, very interesting. What a great encouragement. Uh, We never changed the message. We're not authorized to do that. The biblical message about the Bible and Christ and God and salvation and heaven and hell and all the related issues, the Christian life issues, are not up for negotiation. They are settled forever in the Word of God. We don't change that. We're not authorized. We're servants. We're not masters. We're humans. We're not gods. We don't get to change it. But the methods can change. Uh, A piece of doggerel that we've quoted through the years is, methods are many, principles are few, methods often change, principles never do. And that's how that operates here at Beach Haven. And so that was part of the heart of the founding of Beach Haven Baptist Church, that we would be anchored to the rock and tooled to the times. And be ready in that way. Now, folks, I need to tell you that in this day, Southern Baptists need to hear that message. We are in trouble as a people. And I don't like saying that. I didn't grow up in an era of Southern Baptist life where we were in trouble. We've been in trouble 17, 18 years. We've been in decline. Let me give you a few facts from Chuck Kelly that he has announced to us in one of his recent publications and that he shared with us whenever he was uh, here with us uh, a few months ago uh, back in uh, May. Uh, Here's some tragic truths about current-day Southern Baptists. One, the world influences Southern Baptists more than Southern Baptists influence the world. That was not the case one day. Back in the 50s, we were growing four times faster than the national population. So it wasn't the baby boom that was helping us. It happened to be our ministry. The second tragic truth is Southern Baptists are becoming a shrinking presence with a diminishing voice. The third tragic truth is this. The Southern Baptist Convention and Southern Baptist churches are closer to losing the South than they are to winning North America. Now there is precedent for that. Did you know that the Northeast United States used to be the Bible Belt? There are almost no counties there outside of Pennsylvania, the mid-state of Pennsylvania, that are more than 2% evangelical with a biblical gospel. Now, as the faith was rescinding in the Northeast, it was burgeoning in the South. The South used to be a wild, woolly frontier place. It used to be where all the crazy people were. Watch it. And and then God awakened 
the southern states and the second great awakening with revival meetings and camp meetings, prayer meetings, and uh, the ministry of Charles Finney and some others. And, and, and God did a neat work in the south and built us a great nation. Now, we, um, we, we've made some big mistakes along the way. We have. And um, Beach Haven's gotten those issues right, and I'll talk about those in just a moment. But the fourth thing is, as we fail to reach people locally, we threaten global missions. You can only get so much out of a declining number of people. We are jeopardizing our international missions commitment. Now, these are Southern Baptists in general. That's not you. We're growing and reaching people. We've had a marvelous demographic shift here. We've got the best senior adults in the world. I know we've got the best kids, and we've got the best college students, and we've got the best families in the world. So we are different, and we're going to be. But you need to know Southern Baptists at large are threatening the funding of global missions and our education, benevolence, and uh, healthcare ministries around the world with a shrinking number of people around the nation. And the fifth tragic fact is this. Most leaders today in churches do not have any experience leading a church to grow. They don't know what to do. They don't know what to do. And I found that very frustrating when I worked for the denomination. That there was nowhere to hang anything on the heads, hearts, and minds of uh, those that were in leadership. An education principle is you teach someone something new by connecting it to something old. There was nothing old there to connect it to. And so I say all that to say that while Southern Baptists are struggling, Beach Haven is going to be different. We aren't going to struggle. We're going to be a flagship and we're going to set the example. That's what we're going to do. And I think our founding gives us some instruction in that. We, we have been different through the years. The tenure of our staff and pastors has been wildly different. Um, uh, Pat Harrison here was here as a founding pastor for seven years. Dr. Griffith for 14, so he doubled his tenure. Stuart Sims for 31. He more than doubled that. They told me I've got to stay 62. <laughs> now, I will. You'll have to prop me up somewhere and mummify me, but I, I'll be glad to, all right? And I feel real sorry for the guy who comes after me, okay? He's not getting any rest at all. But that's what we do. We have long tenures. Our ministers of music stay longer than the average. Uh, Tim was here longer than the average, in fact. You may not believe that, but he was. Curtis certainly was, and Ron Hatchett was as well. Uh, that, that's what we do. We do tenure very well, and all of those that have been here through these years and decades at Beach Haven will say that's a great compliment to the church. Uh, by the way, if you're a guest with us or not accustomed to churches, I'm not bragging. I'm grateful. Glory to God. So understand that. Another thing that's different is that early on, Beach Haven got the race issue right when race relations were not good in Athens, Georgia. Early on, Dr. Harrison and the deacons decided that they would defend and that they would arrange to keep the doors open to every person in the community regardless of race. And they had a system to making sure nobody messed with them. Now, they, they never had to use the system because nobody messed with uh, African-American visitors or Latino visitors or Asian visitors. But they had a system just in case that happened. Beach Haven has had an integrated membership for more than 30 years. And we had integrated leadership more than 30 years ago. And when we interview for staff positions, we intentionally seek those who are qualified from other races and will continue to do so. That's no great promise, but that, that's on our heart and mind. If God leads us, we're open to that. So they, they got that issue right. Beach Haven's also had a tremendous example of giving. We've given now by this day more than $4 million to the cooperative program and millions more to our missions offerings. And 
That, that's what we've done through the years. So I'm not bragging. I just need to tell you, we have been different through the years. We've been more evangelistically conscious than most other places through the years. There are a lot of neat differences, and I'm calling upon us today to be different again in an era where our community and our people need it. And there are several things I want to point to, but I want to read as a theme Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse number 28. This is after Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, and I mean to listen to this message, uh, was on one hand to feel like a warm blanket covered you on a cold day, on one hand. On the other hand, the Sermon on the Mount sometimes, heard, sometimes sounded like a board being ripped off a wall. It, it was comforting at one moment, and it was unpleasant the next, because Jesus would swallow thunder and he would preach lightning, is what he did in this text. And in beginning in verse number 28, it tells about the crowd's response to his message. And so it was, when Jesus has ended these sayings, that the people were astonished. Whoa, can you believe he said that? No, he did not say that. He said it. They were astonished. For he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. The scribes would weasel in and out and their yes would be no and their no would be yes. And Jesus cut out all that foolishness. And he preached with authority because he was the son of God. And, and what he taught, what he preached, is recorded for us in the New Testament. And so we preach it with equal authority. Thus saith the Lord. This is the Lord's declaration. Jesus was different in his manner, in his message, in his ministry, God wants us to be a different people. And I want to mention a few things that can be different for us in the future. Number one, a different ministry. A different ministry. I'm concerned about three groups, and I do not have any answers to this. I don't have any leading. Um, well, actually, I've got answers to this, but I've got too many, and I don't know which one to select. But I'm praying about three different ministries in our church family. I don't know what to do with them. I don't need any more ideas. So I'm not asking you to do that. But Because uh, i got too many already, all right? And they're all of my own making. But I'm seeking the Lord about three different ministries. Number one, I'd like to see us do something different with singles. We've got a few singles in their 20s. We've got a few in their 30s, a few in their 40s, a few in their 50s, a few in their 60s. But not any one group is large enough to advance with a singles ministry. They don't all mix together, but I'm thinking through and praying through that. The second happens to be not only singles, but it happens to be also the poor. The poor. Um, I've got some concerns about that. That's on my heart. I grew up that way. I did in Houston, Texas as a boy, and I've told you my story. I want something done about that, but I'm not willing to feed the problem. I want to fix it. And I do believe the most important thing that we can do is not wait on the end of the poverty process and try to clean up the difficulty and fix the difficulty at the end. It's to get on the beginning to prevent it in the first place. And the number one thing that needs to take place in poor communities is the rebuilding of families with mother and daddies married to one another standing together. We've got to have that. I don't know exactly how to do that, but we're going to one day have the biggest dad's ministry in, uh, in the community. The third thing, not only the poor, not only the singles, but also the homeless. 
We've got to do something about that. Uh, I don't want to feed the problem. I want to fix it. And my vision is to do this. Now, how to get there, I don't know. I'm thinking through and praying through this. But what to do with the homeless, and that is I don't want to exacerbate the problem. I want to fix it. And the number one way that I've seen through the years, especially my experience with the homeless in Fort Worth, is to do this. Build their dignity. Build their dignity with the gospel of Christ and transform them from receivers to givers and do that. I've got some ideas about that, but they're not fleshed out. I don't want to announce them now, but I want to let you know I am concerned not only about the things I spoke about January 6th that I will repeat today, but I'm also concerned about our local community. It's on my heart. We'll do something about it just as soon as God pulls the trigger. Forgive the image. I'm from Texas, okay? So a different ministry. But there's a second thing, a different heart, a different heart. And the first part of the different heart is to have a heart for prayer. James 5.16, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. There's no substitute for prayer. I used to tell our students in Fort Worth, they used to say, listen, we will never train you, we will never dress you, we will never relate to you, we will never connect with you in a way that is an adequate substitute for your prayer life. There's nothing we can do in our church that is an adequate substitute for prayer. So a few Sundays ago, I called on you to start a pastor's prayer um, partner ministry with me. My goal was 120 to pray for my family and me every day, and we've reached it. You did it. You're knocking it out of the park, and I can't tell you how different we happen to be. God came through when Sherry Michelle got vertigo and fixed it as soon as you started praying. And it's been a marvelous thing to see. Thank you for doing that. But by January 1st of 2020, I want us to have a prayer room dedicated somewhere near the worship space for 24-7 prayer. I want the prayer room filled up 168 hours a week with people seeking God and pleading with Him for His power. A different heart for prayer. Then a different heart for families and college students. Uh, Greg Laurie pastors the Harvest Christian Center in Riverside, California. It's one of the largest churches in the nation, but it didn't begin that way. What happened is, is that they were meeting in an old stone-clad Episcopalian church in Riverside, and the pastor got nervous about them being there because the crowd on Tuesday night that Greg was speaking to was larger than the few dozen on Sunday morning he was speaking to. He thought it was getting out of control. He made things uncomfortable for Greg Laurie at that time. And so Greg communicated to his pastor, Chuck Smith, over at Calvary Chapel in Costa Mesa, uh, the situation. And so Chuck got a realtor. They started looking around Riverside, and they found an empty Baptist church. The church had split. They'd taken all the furnishings and everything out except the pulpit. Uh, everything was gone. And Chuck negotiated with the realtor about a price. They negotiated with the congregation. He walked up there with Greg, asked him to look around, pulled out his checkbook knowing Greg was satisfied, wrote a down payment, and gave him the keys and said, I've made the down payment and the first month's payment. You all have got to do the rest. And Greg was 20 years old. And the question that heads the chapter in his book about that is, who gives the church to 20-year-olds? Who would ever give the church to 20-year-olds? Greg Laurie said Chuck Smith did. Ladies and gentlemen, Beach Haven's going to be a church that does not hesitate to give the church to 20-year-olds. Now, don't the rest of you older than that go away. We got bills to pay, all right? 
And they did. Their 300 went to 500. They're now one of the largest congregations in the nation. And uh, a few years ago, they became a Southern Baptist congregation. So the truth is, is that that's the kind of heart and church. And we're not going to be hesitant. Let me tell you something. As you get older in leadership, listen to me. As you get older in leadership, learn to say yes to your young people. Don't tell them no. The key to effective leaders getting older and staying relevant and timely and effective is to tell the young people yes. That's the kind of church Beach Haven will be. We aren't going to tell the young people no. I don't care about your tattoos. I don't care about your flip-flops. I don't care about your shorts. I don't care about your music and worship style. You come and the answer is yes at Beach Haven. Hello? Come on, help me. We tell them yes. Now, it's interesting. Greg Laurie's church, they have so many young people that their first ministry was an outreach to senior adults. That's what they had to do. They didn't have any senior adults, and they recognized the need for them. And I'll talk about that in just a uh, moment. But this is our context. Uh, Families and college students are the fastest-growing demographic in the Athens region. We are going to prioritize them. We are going to reach them. We're going to shape the budget. We're going to shape the calendar. We're going to shape the worship. We're going to shape the choir. We're going to shape the building. We're going to shape every area of reality from the uh, youngest to the oldest staff member to reach and tool ourselves for college students and families. That's what we're going to do. Now, hold on a minute. If you're older than, uh, uh, if you're a senior adult, I've got more for you and I've got to have you. But that leads us to this, and that is worship. We will have contextual worship. What is the kind of worship that's going to reach families and college students? That is what we will do. Our mind is made up. A worship that matches our context. We will not become more traditional. We will not become more ostentatious. We will not become more academic. We will be contextual. I don't know if you've noticed in the publications about Athens in the last few years, but if you noticed, Athens is transitioning. And it's not only the classic city. I read last night, Athens is cool city. That's our context. That's what you would expect. That's what you would expect from a community growing. 5,000 new students at the University of Georgia, 5,000 larger than what they were in 2014, entering GPA 4.04. My goodness, how do you get to that? I mean, some people have to look up to see 2.0, but... uh, that's what they are. But that transitioning is taking place because of families and college students. That is our priority moving forward. And so it's fast becoming cool city. Now, what about retired senior adult ministry? Let me say, you need to listen to me. Look at the end of my nose and get every word I'm saying. Please, please, I plead with you. We need more retired senior adult ministry, not less. Do you know what's going on with young people and college students? More of them are coming from broken families and busy families. They came up in the 90s and the 2000s where everybody to make ends meet had to have two or three jobs. Did you know that 70% of Americans do not have a bachelor's degree? 
And because of the way the economy changed back in the late 80s and early 90s, people have had to hold down multiple jobs to make ends meet with their kids. Do you know what that means? This generation has less adult attention than anyone I have ever known. And I'm a Gen Xer, the latchkey kids. They've had less adult investment. I, we do not need fewer senior adults and retired adults. We've got to have more. I need someone. We need someone to help us raise this generation. And let me tell you, the biggest thing senior adults and retired adults can give to families and to college students, listen to me. Here is the number one thing, and I please, please, oh, please hear what I'm saying. The greatest gift you can give to families and college students is hope. Hope. Hope for a vital walk with God. There's some of you that came to know Jesus as a child or teenager, and you have been walking with him for decades. How do you do it? How do you stay faithful? It wasn't always easy for you. You can also give them hope, not only in a vital walk with God, you can give them hope in marriage. They have not seen successful marriages. But did you know here at Beach Haven, we have had 66 couples in our history, some of them in heaven now, but 66 couples in our history who have celebrated their 50th wedding anniversary. That's unheard of. Now, you're used to it, but that amazes people to learn that. That's what we have. We've got folks on their second marriage that are looking at 40th and 50th wedding anniversaries as well. They made the second one work. Do you know how rare that is? Do you know how rare that is? You can give them hope for that. You can give them hope for vital Christian service. Let me tell you something. You can be a Joyce Bowen. You can be a Betty Moody. You can be a Nancy Bruce. By the way, our middle schoolers have got names or words they use to describe these people. They say they're Gucci. The clothing brand, the handbag brand. I mean, they're top shelf. That's what they call them. All right, look at your neighbor and say, our senior adults are Gucci. Do it. <laughs> now, here's what I want you to do. I want to challenge our retired senior adult ministry to keep up with the rate of growth of senior adults in our community, and I want you to double your ministry. If over the next five years, the senior adult community in Athens grows by 5%, I want you growing by 10%. I want you to go get them. The woods are full of retired senior adults. Go get you some. That's what we're going to do. That's what I want you to have. Now listen, let me be real careful. Listen to me. Listen to me. Let me make clear, I want the right kind of senior adults too. I don't want grumpy ones. Okay, listen, if they got a problem, and by the way, families and 20-somethings, I don't want grumpy young people either. I don't want to trade one group for the other. I don't, no grumpy, uh-uh-uh-uh. Look at your neighbor and say, uh-uh-uh-uh. No grumpy people. If they've got to have a pastor that wears a tie, and I almost never do, uh-uh-uh-uh. I think the guy that invented ties, I'm wearing one today, special occasion. I will at funerals, but the guy who invented ties ought to be hung with one. All right? <laughs> These are really scarves. 
They're, they're male scarves, and they're supposed to um, keep you warm. Well, I'm hot. The temperature, temperature. Okay, if they don't like drums on the platform, uh-uh-uh-uh. If they don't like guitars on the platform, uh-uh-uh-uh. If they're bitty, bitter, grouchy, mossback, win them to the Lord and show them to the grumpy church. <laughs> we'll love them. We won't condemn them. We'll be patient. But no grumpy people. None. We're not going to have that around here. If, if we change our worship style, if we change our choir function, if we change uh, our instrumentation, on the, no, no grumpiness. No. No grumpiness. If they don't like strong pastoral and staff leadership, not dictatorship, but strong, uh-uh, not here. Not here. We're unified. We love the Lord Jesus. We're moving together. We're going to reach the community. We're going to make a difference. And grumpy people won't get in the way. We're not having it. Uh-uh-uh-uh. Here's, kind of, here's the kind of older adults I want you to reach. I want you to reach people like A.B. Sawyer and Curtis Murdoch. That's what we need. Now, we've been operating with a vision statement for the last five years that says... Beach Haven will magnify Christ as Lord by building all the peoples, plural, of the Athens region into great commissionaries. And uh, we're for that. I'm going to suggest we make that our mission statement. That's really what you're supposed to do if you're a church. It's not very unique, but that was intentional and purposeful on my part as I led us to adopt that back in 2015. The next vision statement I want to suggest that we operate by is this. We will provide each of our neighbors with an opportunity to become a follower of Jesus Christ. That's our neighbors locally around our church. That's the neighbors in your neighborhood. That's the neighbors in Indiantown, Florida, where we're committed, or wherever they want us to go to reach our Guatemalan friends. And that's our, those happen to be our neighbors in Takana, Guatemala. And I'd like a hundred of you to go on that mission trip in 2021. And then, finally, the distinctives of Beach Haven. There are a lot of things that are the same about us as other churches. We have a building. We use the Bible. We, um, we uh, have a set of standard beliefs. Uh, a lot of those things are the same. But there's some things that I'm hearing back from guests and new members that are distinctive about Beach Haven as they've circulated around to other churches. And it's best demonstrated by a young lady that joined our church a few years ago and after joining did not come back. And it wasn't your fault. She joined and got overwhelmed with the intensity of our life together. And she was living a fake life. And she couldn't stand the heat. And Sherry Michelle and I would text her and contact her on Facebook Messenger over the years just to check on her, see how she's doing. After a couple of years, she got involved in a Bible study in the community and then she went from there and went to be part of another church with no protest against Beach Haven. Six months ago, she contacted Sherry Michelle and said, I want to tell you what God is doing in my life. She said, when I joined Beach Haven, I was very fake. I was um, doing a lot of things I shouldn't have been doing. And I joined. 
and I just couldn't stand being fake at Beach Haven. She said, at Beach Haven, you can't be fake because Beach Haven is real, authentic. I, I, I want to tell you, I want to propose three, three distinctives that we have. Number one, we are real in our worship. Our worship participation for a church like us is extremely high. You are blessed if 50% of your congregants sing during the song service. You're blessed if a few of your men sing. 85% of our people sing during congregational worship. So what comes from the platform will not be a production. It, uh, we'll do our best with staging and lighting and those kind of things. But that's not the point. The point is to give you the tools to magnify Jesus Christ, which invites the power and presence of the Holy Spirit, which leads sinners unto Him and brings us closer to Him. We are a people who really worship. We value that. Second, real love. I am finding, and I keep hearing this almost every week from guests, that is the friendliest church I've ever been to. Do you do this for everyone? And I tell them yes. You're taking guests to lunch after the service. You're meeting the need before. You're spending three minutes with them before the service, three minutes afterwards. Sherry, Michelle, and I text and call. We take them to lunch or coffee. We spend time with them because God made them, Jesus died for them, and we love them. That's how we're going to be. And so we've got a real vigorous ministry in that way. The third thing is not only real worship and real love, but real mission. A high percentage of our people participate in the ministry of our church. They uh, do not, they do not just sit and soak and sour. They don't do that. You all serve the Lord. You have got a high degree of participation in what we do, and I thank God for you. What a powerful thing. When you come to Beach Haven, uh, we don't rush you into service. We give you about a year. But after a while, get involved in something. And I've trained all of our new members in that. And you have done so. And I want to tell you, I am really proud of you. The things that you're accomplishing are amazing. So uh, those are our distinctives. Now let me talk about a different generosity, okay? By the way, all of that was the introduction to my message. Here we go. I had Chinese friends when I was in school at Fort Worth that called me David on too long, and I love justifying the name, okay? A different generosity. Uh, I need you to begin thinking and praying about uh, our worship space in the future. We've got a committee studying the need. They'll bring recommendations to you when they're ready, probably later than sooner. I, I don't know. We may accelerate the process. There's some neat things going on. Don't have anything to announce. Don't have anything in stone or anything like that, but I need you to financially get prepared for it. It is probably going to be a game changer and bigger than what you realize now. It probably will be because Carol Schimmel's on the committee. <laughs> All right? So it's going to come with bling. Yes. <laughs> Carol Schimmel bling. All right? That's wonderful. So worship space. I need you to begin to think through, pray through, and save for your best kind of giving with that. A second thing. Um, we have got an endowment. We've got more than, uh, I, I'm not going to get into too many numbers, but we've, uh, we've got good, healthy commitments to it. Um, and the thing with an endowment, it's best not to take more than 15% of your budget from those investments, which if we get past that, that means we've got 85% to spend on other things, and I want us to give it away to the world. That leads me to my third thing, and that is right now, financially, 
Beach Haven is giving away approximately 25% of everything that comes in. We're only living on 75% of what we get. Now hear me. I'm going to give something bold to you, big. By the way, Stewardship Committee was okay with me telling you this. Okay? By our 75th anniversary in 2034, I want that 25% to be 50%. I want us giving away 50% of everything that comes in. That includes Lottie Moon International Missions Offering, Annie Armstrong North American Missions Offering. That includes our benevolence. That includes a variety of other things. And what we're able to make from our endowment. 50% of everything that comes in goes out the door. Education is another thing. Uh, we've got three senior level Baptist universities in the state. Uh, about 48 around the nation. They're more expensive to go to than Georgia, University of Georgia or University of North Georgia. They are. The Hope Scholarship really put our Baptist colleges at a disadvantage in many ways. What I'd like to see us do, if we can get to the point with our endowment where we can grow, is that Beach Haven will provide our high school students with a scholarship that will equalize the cost. It will be a Beach Haven Equalization Grant. A Beach Haven Equalization Grant. So if they go to Truett McConnell or Bruton Parker or Shorter University, they will not pay more there than what they would at Georgia or University of North Georgia. Now, I don't believe God wants all of our students at a Baptist university. Many of them need to go to Georgia. Many of them need to go to University of North Georgia. Uh, I don't think any need to go to Georgia Tech, but they... Um... <laughs> and they sure don't need to go to... No, 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 no. <laughs> hey, hey, he's got the message. Y'all got grumpy and he called you out for it. I was thinking of Auburn. Thank you. But I want to put the Baptist universities on par with the state schools. Then missions. There is a hole in international missions funding. Okay? A big hole. There's not an opportunity to send nationals. They don't have the economy. They don't have the money. Eventually, if God blesses us with our endowment, I'd like to see us establish a mission board, maybe in cooperation with other Georgia Baptist churches, without cutting back on the cooperative program or Southern Baptist missions, without doing that, but establish a mission board here in Georgia to send Guatemalans to the 1040 window, to the Middle East, to India, to China, to other places. And you can send a Guatemalan, for example, to be a full-time missionary with a family for about $5,000 a year. It's entirely possible. Um, benevolence. I, I want us to be on the front end instead of the back end. I want us to fix the problem, not feed the problem. Now, the whole attitude I'd like for us to have about generosity is this. Do you remember the story of the Good Samaritan? A man was traveling down from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and robbers captured him, beat him, and took all that he had and left him by the side of the road. Well, after a while, a Levite priest comes by and ignores him. He would be unclean if he were to touch the man, uh, a, uh, or a Levite did. Then a priest did the same thing. And then finally, surprise of surprises, a Samaritan who knew more of God's love and compassion than the Levite or the priest stopped and helped him. And he took him to an inn, 
And he paid his room fare and said, give him anything he needs. I'm coming back through. If I owe anything, I'll pay it then. There are three attitudes towards giving in that text. Number one, the robbers had this attitude. What is yours is mine, and I'm going to take it. We got people like that. They'll hustle you all day long. Number two, there were the Levite, there was a Levite and the priest. They said, what's yours is yours and you can keep it. We're not going to be that way. And then, third, there's the Samaritan. He said, what is mine is yours and I'm going to give it. That is where Beach Haven's going to be with our generosity. Now, what do we need in this hour uh, as far as a different commitment is concerned to move forward? The first thing is this. We need a different commitment to assurance. We need people to know. We need people to know that they know, that they know, that they know that when they die, they're going to meet God in salvation and in welcome and not be condemned. Did you know you can know that? Jesus has removed the guesswork from it. It doesn't depend upon your works. It depends upon his work. 2 Peter 2.10 says, Make sure of your election and calling. The author of the Sherlock Holmes um, detective novels was um, Arthur Doyle and as a practical joke he wrote he wrote 12 men powerful men in a community and said this in an anonymous letter all is discovered flee at once all 12 of them left the community there's some of you that are worried in that same way because you know God knows what you've done but I want to give you hope I want to let you know that whatever you have done, whatever bothers your conscience, whatever keeps you up night, where, however you've embarrassed yourself in front of your family, friends, community, or what you've done in secret, listen, Jesus paid for it all at the cross. It no longer has to be an issue. And if you will turn away from resisting him and embrace him in faith, he will save you and give you what Peter calls an abundant entrance into the kingdom. In other words, you won't get by by the skin of your teeth. You'll enter in like royalty. Well, I don't deserve it. Join the club. We don't either. But we're going to give you a chance in just a moment to open up your heart to Christ and say yes to Him. We need a new commitment to assurance. It's hard to give away what you don't already have. The second thing is to the Scripture. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The Bible is our authority. I learned the importance of following directions when I was a boy. I would go to my grandparents' house, my father's parents' house, and it seems like every time I got there as a kid, they would have a model car or airplane or aircraft carrier waiting for me. And I would uh, attempt to put it together. And I would, at times, skip the directions and just go into it. And I would mess the whole thing up. Too much glue, decals in the wrong place, who knows what. And my grandfather would always tell me, if all else fails, read the directions. Hey, we need to go by God's Word. And that's what we will do as a church. We need a new commitment to the world. Matthew 28, 19 and 20 says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the world. Archbishop William Temple said, The church is the only institution that exists for those who are not members yet. 
We prioritize Jesus. And once we've satisfied him, we prioritize the needy world. We live for them. We need a new commitment to service as well. Philippians 2, 3, and 4 says, Do nothing from, uh, out of selfish ambition or conceit, even worship styles. Even your faith, even your church. He's writing to a church, not a group of pagans. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but with humility of mind, regard others as what? Better than yourself, is what it says. Francis Chan was met after a service by someone who said, I didn't like the worship today. He said, well, that's okay. We weren't worshiping you. <laughs> Amen. That's our attitude and spirit. That's our attitude. Listen, I had my preference in music. What I would do is I'd take the old hymns and put them to some 80 ballad rock by Van Halen. That's what I would do. <laughs> Somebody needs to do that, please. Larry Norman. Yeah. Then a new attitude. We need a commitment to a different attitude. Paul said in Acts 20, 24, but none of these things move me. The trials that are coming before me, no, nor do I count my life dear to myself so that I may finish my race with joy. In other words, I'll do whatever it takes. I will do whatever it takes. I will change my dress. I will change my worship. I will change the role of what goes on the platform. I will change everything. I will change my position. I'll change my routine. I'll change my giving. I'll change my anything relevant to my life if it means I can reach more people for Jesus. Whatever it takes. I can't hold anything back from God. I will trust in Thee. I yield my life to Thee. It all belongs to Thee. I'm holding nothing back. God, You have it all because Your Son's worthy and I sure do love Him. That's where the heart needs to be. Whatever it takes, we're going to give ourselves to that because God placed this church here on the west side in an emerging business community to be a different church on the west side of Athens. And that is how we're going to be. Hey, we need something different today. Maybe you need a different approach to yourself and need to admit, you know what, I don't have it all together. I really need a change, and I'm going to change my mind. I've tried everything else, but now I'm coming to Jesus Christ. The Bible calls that repentance, and it says the goodness of God leads you to repentance. Why don't you come and do that? And then trust the death of Christ. He's done all the work. Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You can have peace with God because Jesus bled for you. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And folks, I've looked at the dictionary definition of the word whoever. I've seen it in English. I've seen it in Hebrew. I've seen it in Greek. And you know what it means? It means every one of you. There is no one here that has to be excluded from the grace of God. The only one that will ever do that is you. So in just a moment, our staff are going to be here in the front. We're going to invite you to come and say yes to Jesus Christ and open your heart to him. Some of you, God wants here at Beach Haven to become part of this church. We want you here. We'll love your socks off and we'll give our all to you to build you up into the image of Jesus Christ. Others of you, God's calling you to ministry or missionary service. We want you to come as well. We'll be glad to pray with you, meet any spiritual need that you've got. If you'll quickly rise with me, please, and let me pray, and then we're going to respond appropriately to God. Father, thank you in Jesus' name for the opportunity to share your word and your heart.